0: chapter forty of the creators a comedy by mason clare this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter forty laura was staying at the brodrick's she was to stay jane insisted on it until she was married she would have to stay forever then laura said her marriage seemed so far off so unlikely so impossible for prothero had offended the powers that governed his material destiny the editors and proprietors of the morning telegraph a man who without a moment's notice could fling up his appointment an appointment mind you that he had obtained not by any merit of his own but through the grace and favor of an editor's wife an appointment that he held precariously almost on sufferance by mercy extended to him day by day and hour by hour what could he hope for from sane responsible men like Broderick and levine did he imagine that appointments hung on lamp-posts ready to his hand or that they only waited for his appearance to fall instantly upon his head and that if they did fall on his head he could take them on and off like his hat and did he think that he could play the fool with a paper like the morning telegraph these questions Broderick asked of Levine and Levine of Broderick before the unspeakably shocked, the unconditionally assenting faces of John and Henry. All the Brodericks disapproved of Prothero and were annoyed with him for flinging up his appointment. Jane pleaded that he had flung it up because he was fond of Laura and wanted to marry her, and she was told that that was all the more reason why he should have stuck to it they were annoyed with him for keeping laura hanging on when he knew he couldn't marry her and they were annoyed with him for wanting to marry her at all they admitted that it was very sad for laura they liked laura they approved of laura she had done her duty by all the family she had and had nearly died of it and when jane suggested that all prothero wanted was to do the same they replied that prothero had no business to think of having a family they supposed that was what it would end in a man who could n't keep himself much less a delicate wife and half a dozen children there would be half a dozen there always were in cases like prothero's and at that jane smiled and said they would be darlings if they were at all like laura they were annoyed with jane for her championship of prothero they were immeasurably annoyed with her when she and tanqueray and arnott nicholson and nina published his poems a second volume by subscription they subscribed generously and grew more resentful on the strength of it jane pleaded but brodrick was inexorable the more she pleaded the more inexorable he was this time he put his foot down and put it as jane bitterly remarked on poor owen prothero's neck it was a neck a stiff and obstinate neck that positively invited the foot of a stiff and obstinate man jane hid these things from laura who thought poor innocent that it was only her luck marriage or no marriage she was incredibly happy she even persuaded herself it was as well that she couldn't be married if that was to make her happier she distrusted happiness carried to such a preposterous pitch she was sitting with jane one evening by the october firelight in the room where her friend lay quietly do you remember jinny how we were all in love with george you and i and nina and poor old caro caro said it was our apprenticeship to the master jane remembered he was training us i really think he was said laura still reminiscent can't you hear him saying come on come on what the dickens doesn't matter if i do see you it's got to be somebody and it had much better be me i shan't snigger but i'm going to make you squirm as much as you can squirm you've got to know what it feels like i think he was positively proud of us when we did come on i can't imagine him taking any other view and after all you know he didn't snigger she pondered he's an abominable husband but he's a glorious friend jane assented he was glorious and abominable laura's face grew tender in meditation she was no longer thinking of george tanqueray there's one awful fear i have with owen i shan't be ready in time when he's all nicely disembodied and on his way to heaven i see him stopped in some uninteresting station and sitting there waiting patiently waiting for me to disembody myself and come on it'll take me ages it always was difficult to get you off jane murmured i know and i shall feel as if i were keeping him back when he was trying to catch a train i imagine he's pretty sure of his train the truth is owen doesn't really wait he's always in his train and out of it so to speak and your disembodying yourself darling is only a question of time and time said laura doesn't exist for owen but time was beginning to exist for owen he felt the pressure of the heavy days that divided him from laura he revolted against this tyranny of time and brodrick the lord of time remained inexorable for two months long before they were ended little laura with a determination as inexorable as brodrick's had left brodrick's house to the great disgust and scandal of the brodrick's she had gone back to her rooms in camden town where prothero was living in the next house with only a wall between them then it was in the middle of october when henry was telling them that jane must on no account be agitated Broderick and Jane nearly quarrelled about Prothero. She said that he was cruel, and that if Owen went into a consumption and Laura died of hunger, it would be all his fault. And when he tried to reason gently with her, she went off into a violent fit of hysterics. The next day, Broderick had a son born to him, a whole month before Henry had expected anything of the kind. At first, Broderick was more than ever enraged with Prothero for tampering with other people's families like that jane had to go very near to death before his will was broken it broke though at the touch of her weak arms round his neck at the sight of her tortured body and at her voice sounding from the doors of death and birth imploring him to do something for owen prothero jane had hardly had time to recover before prothero got work again on broderick's paper laura said they owed that to jinny's baby they were married in November before Jenny's baby could be christened. It was a rather sad and strange little wedding in the parish church of Camden Town with Broderick to give away the bride and Caro Bickersteth for bridesmaid and Tonqueray for best man. Nina was not there. She had sent Laura a check for 200 pounds two months ago, the half of her savings, and told her to go and marry Owen with it at once and she had torn it up in a fury when Laura sent it back. She could do all that, but she could not go and see laura and owen getting married the two had found a lodging in an old house in hampstead not far from the consumption hospital laura had objected to the hospital but owen refused to recognize it as a thing of fear he had fallen in love with the house it topped a rise at the end of the precipitous lane that curls out of the great modern high street it stood back in its garden its narrow flat-eyed windows staring over the wall down the lane laura wasn't sure that she quite liked it what are you looking at she said as he paused before this house i'm looking at that said prothero he pointed to an old disused iron gate and to the design curl within curl of slender aspiring curves that grew and branched and overflowed in tendrils of almost tremulous grace and in triple leaves each less like a leaf than a three-tongued flame insubstantial as lace-work against the green background of the garden it hung rather than stood between its brick pillars its edges fretted and fringed with rust consumed in a delicate decay a stout iron railing guarded this miracle of art and time thus cut off from the uses of life it gave to the place an air of almost unbearable mystery and isolation it stirred the sense of mortality of things that having passed through that doorway would not return that house looks and feels as if it had ghosts in it she said so it has not the ghosts of people who have died the ghosts of people who have never been born the people he said who come through the iron gate and as she looked at it again and at the untrodden grass behind it she felt that this masterpiece of iron tortured into beauty was an appropriate symbol of their life of owen's rather than of hers closed as it was to all corporeal creatures there yet went through it presences intelligences the august procession of the dreams it was flanked by a postern door a little humble door in the wall of the garden that was the door laura said through which her little humble dreams would go out into the world to make their living poor owen she said it's the door you'll have to go through he smiled and the other he said is the door i shall come back through when i'm gone that was what she couldn't bear to think of the necessity she laid on him of going as it were forever through the postern door he was after all such a supernatural such a disembodied thing he had at times the eyes of a young divinity innocent of creation untouched by the shames and terrors of the apparent world and she knew it was the desire they had for each other that had brought him back from his divine borders and that held him in her world there were moments when she felt that he maintained his appearance there by an effort so intense that it must be torture and he would have to work for her doing dreadful things down in fleet street every day she would see him go down the green walk and out through the postern gate into the alien and terrible places of the incarnate she felt that she had brought mortality upon an immortal thing she had bound this winged and radiant spirit with the weight of her sad star but there came to her a wonderful day when he brought her home through the little humble door in the wall of the garden when shut in their room he took her to himself he laid his hands on her shoulders and she closed her eyes he bowed his head over her and his breath was on her mouth and she gave her face to him his hands trembled holding her and she felt upon her their power and their passion and she knew that it was not her body alone that he sought for and held but the soul that was her womanhood it stood before him a new-born eve naked and unafraid on the green plots of eden it looked at him and its eyes were tender with desire and pity it was tremulous as a body inhabited by leaping light and flame she knew that in them both the flame burned singly end of chapter forty recording by expatriate in bangor maine